0: From Lawson Media, this is Building a Unicorn, the show exploring what it takes to build a big global business. I'm Christopher Lawson. Food companies are everywhere. There's delivery companies like Uber Eats, chains like McDonald's or Domino's, and of course your traditional family restaurants. But once you've eaten all that great food. There's also companies that specialise in helping you shed a few kilos. And today on the show, we're speaking with Kate Save, CEO and co-founder of BeFit Food, a company which specialises in providing scientifically backed meals for rapid weight loss. Kate joined us via Zoom for our very first Building a Unicorn live event, and she has a fascinating journey that even involved an appearance on Shark Tank, which completely changed the trajectory of their business. Kate is a dietitian and clinical exercise physiologist, and through seeing thousands of patients, along with her co-founder, bariatric surgeon Dr. Jeff Draper, realized there was a problem that needed to be solved.
1: After working in private practice, I guess for nearly well, over 10 years, I saw this need amongst sort of 20,000 patients that Jeff and I had come across that they didn't just need the advice to get started, they actually need the product that would help them get started on their weight loss journey as well.
0: You know, there's a lot of different companies that are kind of um, kind of approaching uh, this area. A lot of people really struggle um, with their weight loss journeys. Um, so, what is it about BeFit Food uh, that makes you different from all of the other services that are out there?
1: Oh, yes. Our point of difference, it's quite extreme, I guess, because we started out as clinicians. We never set out with a business mindset to actually build a food company and we actually went to other providers and asked them would they make the food that we knew that Australians needed to be able to get started and change their health. So, we looked to find a company that would do it we couldn't find it. So, at that stage, um, we ended up buying a fish and chip shop for a dollar, converting it into a commercial kitchen. And for the first couple of years, we had five staff, all in the kitchen, and then myself running the business part of it and all of the free dietitian services that we provide with the food. And as the business grew, we recognized that it really wasn't just for rapid weight loss, which was sort of a founding reason for the company to give people that five kilos in two weeks, sort of weight loss kickstart. It was more than that. So our products got no added sugar four to 12 vegetables in each meal which is good for building a healthy gut microbiome and the science really kept evolving and showing that if you could build a really healthy gut then not only could you lose weight more easily but you could also sustain that weight loss because it's actually the, the microbes in the gut that are responsible for our waste to a certain extent and they've shown this in rat and mice studies where they've got an obese mouse and a thin mouse and they do a faecal transplant or, you know, they swap the poo from a fat mouse to a thin mouse and vice versa. And the thin mouse becomes fat, the fat mouse becomes thin, even eating the same amount of food and the same types of food. And that was really, I guess, um, exciting for us as scientists because we recognise that the gut did play such an important role. And I think when we talk about the gut and brain connection, it's not just this, um connection to hunger and fullness and energy but it's also our happiness comes from the gut that 90 percent of our serotonin is actually produced in the gut as well so we recognize that food wasn't just the solution for you know, changing your weight or your health and um it, it's much more than that it's how you feel happy it's how you feel about yourself and of course your health as well
0: Kate grew up on the Mornington Peninsula just out of Melbourne and describes herself as a curious and adventurous child. She'd spend time with her friends exploring the bush and getting lost while riding their bikes. And even from a young age, Kate says she was always interested in food.
1: Yeah, my passion for food and health, um, it started early and I actually as a child had um, really horrible tummy aches that I used to get and they could never find the answer and they'd send me to hospital give me pethidine send me home for the first 20 years of my life and it wasn't until I was really independent going to uni had a car that this become a huge problem when I was on my own and um, when I was 20 they found what they thought was a tumor and they put me in for emergency surgery and it turned out to be benign but it had caused all these other issues so I forever battled this. Unknown tummy ache, and um, that got me really interested in nutrition because I knew that it was what I was eating that was affecting me. But the doctors actually didn't believe me at the time. They told me it was I was lactose intolerant. I had um, a reason to get out of school, and I was an A plus student. I loved schools. My parents knew that wasn't right, and I also I'd always hated dairy, so I'd never eaten lactose either. And I just knew there was more to it than that. And yeah, that that was my passion.
0: Sure, and obviously that passion for you turned turned into you know wanting to study to become a dietitian and uh, and pursue that as as a career path. Um, was that you know from uh, from all you know all of that kind of like personal experience? Uh, was that um, really what kind of like spurred you to to um, to take that forward as a career?
1: I guess when like all kids that are in sort of year 9, year 10 and, you know, the teachers say to you, so what do you want to be when you grow up and you need to start picking your subjects and which uni you want to go to and I had no idea and I was absolutely stumped what I wanted to do and I was just thinking, oh, do I aim high like and try and do more or do something like that? And it was actually my best friend at the time turned around and said to me, I can't believe you don't know what to do. You love food. You've got to do something with food. And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. And I was so passionate about it, so it seemed really easy. And um, I guess after I studied nutrition, what I recognised is, that, you know, the power of exercise to improve health and particularly brain health. And so I studied nutrition and dietetics to become a dietitian. Then I went back and did a Master's in Clinical Exercise Physiology. And I learned a lot about um, I guess, the brain and the link between the gut and the brain and exercise and happiness and all that sort of thing as well. Um, I always remember at school actually being told to stop smiling. I was a kid that never stopped smiling. They wonder why I kept smiling. I was like, must be all the food. Um, So, yeah, that that was my study career. And I think it was just a, a girlfriend of mine that really pointed out that, it was something that I always talked about, loved and enjoyed and it just seemed like a natural progression for me.
0: And when you, you, know, you, you leave university and you go, you go out um, and you start practicing as a, as a dietitian, like during that period of your life, did you, did you ever have um, any idea that you might become an entrepreneur, that you might sort of go out on your own and start a business?
1: When I was in year 11, I actually won this scholarship at school to go and um, stay on campus at the university for three days and it was out at La Trobe and that program was unbelievable. So it was for the top 1% of the top 10% schools in Victoria or something like that. And when we were away staying at the uni, they actually put us in this lecture theatre and made us watch this movie about Walt Disney. I'd never heard the word entrepreneur before until this movie. And I decided in year 11, I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I had no idea what it meant, but Walt Disney looked like he had a lot of fun doing it and created something spectacular. And my goal was to change the world in some way, like Walt Disney did and make people happy.
0: And after the break, Kate starts her journey with BeFit Food and soon finds herself on Shark Tank. From a young age, Kate Save knew that she wanted to change the world. She worked seven casual jobs during school, and by the time she was 20, had saved enough money to buy a house. By the time she was 21, she had three. Kate clearly had a level of drive that many 21-year-olds would never have had. And that's the kind of drive that it takes to be a great entrepreneur. Following university, Kate started working as a dietitian and soon noticed a significant problem that needed to be solved, although initially had no intention of starting a food business.
1: So, Jeff and I had worked together for almost, um, well, maybe a decade before we started um, thinking about this, or thinking about this idea within the first five years of working together, but Never actually dreamt that we would create a food company. So, um, Jeff's a weight loss surgeon. So, he basically sees patients and helps them find a type of surgery that will help them lose weight, whether that's a gastric band, gastric sleeve, gastric bypass, that sort of thing. And what I found as a um, head dietitian at his clinics is that all of these people were being set up for this weight loss journey and this surgery on bars and shakes diets, which I absolutely Hated with a passion. I just thought, how could you teach someone um, to lose weight and be healthy, but start them on chocolate bars and chocolate shakes and something completely artificial? And as I investigated more globally, I found that the gold standard in the world was these synthetic bars and shakes. And I could just see this huge problem that we were setting people up for long-term failure the short-term success was the surgery but after about two years some people start to regain weight and after five years a lot of people start to regain weight we're talking a lot of weight so particularly when you're um, I was seeing people from anywhere from starting from maybe 80 kilos to 240 kilos was my heaviest time and um, I think, you know, when people lose all this weight, they have this huge transformation, and but then it starts coming back again. It, it, it's all up here. It's all in the brain. It's all about, um, you know, there's a lot of psychology be- behind it. But I also believe when you're losing the weight without using food as the first medicine, without actually changing what you're eating and learning what your body actually needs, you're not going to have that long-term success no matter what medication, what surgery, what supplements you take, it's just never going to be sustainable. So I said to Jeff, um, I don't want to do this with bars and shakes anymore. I think I can do it with a meal plan.
0: So Kate started giving out recipes to clients to help them with their weight loss ahead of surgery. The meals were designed to help both lose weight and also do things like shrink their liver to make an operation less risky. And she was doing this by focusing on a low-calorie diet, Clients were seeing success on the meal plans, but many were looking for a quick alternative that didn't involve a lot of preparation.
1: So that was the point when I decided, well, if no one else is going to make the food, I believe in this enough that I'll make the food, I'll find a way, and not knowing anything about commercial kitchens, food production, HACCP, food law, all of that, I started madly researching and studying and, um, yeah, that, that was it for me. I discovered that um, this was the space I wanted to be in. So after a couple of years, after about two years, I actually gave up um private consulting, so to speak. I still have that company, PPN, or Peninsula Physical Health and Nutrition. So we service three private hospitals and 10 medical centers, and we provide people with the advice they need for healthy living with nutrition, but we don't sell food there. And the reason I quit the consulting is because I felt really conflicted that I knew I had a product that would work for weight loss, but I couldn't sell it to people that were paying me for advice and then tell them to buy my product as well. And it was actually um, a client of mine who confronted me one day and I'd only seen him once and on the way out of the clinic he asked me about this brochure that was sitting there about this food company. And I never really talked about it to patients, but I thought, oh, he's picked it up, I'll tell him what BeFit Food's all about, but I didn't say it was my company. So he drove down to BeFit Food and he asked a girl who was working there at the time Whose company is this? And she said, Oh, it's Kate Saves. And he all lost it. He's he came in the next time. He sat back with his arms crossed for you know the full half hour. I thought, what, what is going on? What's what have I done to this guy? He just he would hardly talk. I couldn't get anything out of him. And in the end, he goes. Do you want some business advice, business person to business person? And he leapt forward over the table. And I remember thinking, Oh, if I could just disappear, if I could just fall into a great big hole or burn right now, I would. I would choose that. Um, and he said to me, uh, "You need to declare your interest in this business and put down the, the brochure." And I said, "Pardon." He goes, "I went there last week." And you didn't tell me this is your business and I bought food there. That This is a conflict of interest. And from that day forward, I felt so guilty and so conflicted that I was doing the wrong thing. So that was it. I actually gave up my practising then because I decided, well, I had the solution for people and I wanted to help them with the food and, you know, my team can do their support but I wanted to make sure that people had access to this food and he's turned out to be a business mentor to me and it turned out to be one of the best things I ever did but that was the turning point for me to go, this is all or nothing Um, and that was until Shark Tank, of course.
0: Something that I'm interested in, um, and you mentioned early, early on in the show, was that your first um, kind of commercial kitchen was a fish and chip shop that you bought. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, and when you were kind of looking around for spaces, like w- why a fish and chip shop? Like What made that a good um, kind of decision to you know, be able to access a commercial uh, kitchen?
1: Well, look. To be honest, in the first few months, we actually hired a shared kitchen space. But the business grew so quickly that we started up taking we started taking too much space in this shared kitchen to the point where we got kicked out. So then we had to find somewhere else. We got another shared space, but we had they had the AMs and we had the PMs. But then our shifts were starting to overlap, and we were getting bigger again and we were running out of storage so then we were just so desperate to find another kitchen and we knew that we couldn't afford you know the five hundred thousand to a couple of million dollars to actually buy a full commercial kitchen so um my best friend's husband actually um, was in hospitality at the time he goes I'll find you something I'll find you like a um, an old butcher shop, an old pub, an old something that's just got some structure there with some, you know, cool rooms and extractor fans and... um all the things that we would need that I didn't even know about for this commercial kitchen and so he came across this fish and chip shop that was for sale and at the time I believe it was for sale for maybe $10,000 or something like that so it was quite inexpensive compared to everything we'd looked at Um, and in the end they'd actually, um, the business had closed down so we got the business for a dollar and we got to keep everything within the walls of this business so We were pretty excited when we opened it up um, until we found out that the three cool rooms didn't actually work, the extractor fans didn't work, and the place was a dirty, filthy mess. It was an absolute horrible, horrible place to start. Um, So that made me really passionate to renovate it and to get it into working order, and we did have to spend a lot of money to get it all up and running, but we actually had our own space and there's certainly a lot less than actually going out and buying, you know, a fully fitted out commercial kitchen. And that was enough to get us started.
0: Having, having your own space um, can, you know, for many businesses sort of like give them a form of identity. Was that, was that kind of the situation for you as well? Like having your own space meant that you are on the map, like you're a legitimate business now?
1: Yeah, I guess because we're only selling food online and initially we're only actually selling food to our current patients, so the weight loss patients and then the dietitian patients. So, no one knew we existed. We were just a website. We didn't know about SEO or SEM or anything like that, digital marketing back then. So, we were really just a website and nothing else, and a handful of flyers that we designed ourselves. And it wasn't until we had this store that we could put our first sign up and call it Be Fit Food, or back then it wasn't even called Be Fit Food. It was bariatric essentials, so bariatric meaning um, obesity and essentials for weight loss. And people started to find um, that they hated that name because when their cooler bag or their box of food turned up and it said bariatric on it, it was quite offensive for people. So we took the the B and the E and created B, and then we thought, what are people going to be? And um, I didn't like health food or, you know, as a word, so we went with fit food because we wanted people to be fitter and healthier. So that was how that sort of came to be.
0: (laughs) And it was at this point, a couple of years into the business that Kate and Jeff decided to take their business on Shark Tank. As many people will know, Shark Tank offers entrepreneurs the chance to put themselves out there in front of some of the best investors around to try and secure an investment. For some, the tank eats them alive. But for others, they walk out with agreements and positive media coverage that will change their business forever. And for Kate and Jeff, that's exactly what happened.
1: So, look. Um, We actually applied for Shark Tank the year prior and we got through to the interview round and I said to my co-founder, the surgeon, you know, I think we should go on Shark Tank because we're running out of money and we both put over $100,000 each into the business at this point. And um, he said, oh, look, I think it's really bad for our reputation. It's quite dangerous on TV. The sharks are, you know, they're fierce and they're there to make good television, so beware. And so I pulled out and then the following year, as you can imagine, we poured hundreds of thousands more dollars into this business and not a cent was ever going to come out of it the way we were running it. Because as clinicians to us, the only thing that mattered was to help people get the food they needed at our expense, not at their expense, because we really just wanted to change their lives and give them this food that we knew Um, would do that and we we knew how much people were willing to pay and that didn't cover our costs. So every time we sold food, we, um, yeah, we lost more money and I thought the only person that I know that could turn this around and Um, as a female sort of leading the business at the time, I thought, you know, I wanted a a female founder and I read Janine Ellis's books and I was just absolutely gobsmacked by her journey and what she'd done. So I thought, I know how to meet her. I'll get on Shark Tank. And so I said to my co-founder again, I'm going to do it. We've run out of money. I can't add any more money at this stage, but I'm going to find us some money and I'm going to find us someone to help us run this like a profitable business rather than, um, you know a charity for helping people to eat better so that's that's what I did and at the time the surgeon said oh look I'm not going to go on TV it's too dangerous for my reputation and I thought well I've got nothing to lose I either lose all my money anyway or I lose my reputation and my money but either way that you know there's a chance something could be gained so I decided to really prepare myself to go on to Shark Tank. So once I was accepted, I had about three months and I watched every episode of Shark Tank ever made, wrote down every question ever asked here and overseas and learnt everything that I could about the business I was running. And I think that process alone helped me to become a better business person. And I remember um, now flying in the night before and, you know, you get there at 11 o'clock at night and we had a disaster with the hotel and bits and pieces. The next morning off we are to Fox Studios and we arrive and, you actually don't know what's going on you haven't really spoken to anyone at this stage all you know is at some point you're going to walk through those big doors onto the red carpet and there's going to be five sharks and that was literally what happened except um, the cameraman I said to him how, how do these doors open on the set and he goes they're automatic doors and these huge huge big doors they'll just open Anyway, so we start walking. He's going backwards. Bang! He smashes into the doors, and they don't open. And I was like, "Oh God, this is a this is a bad start." So um, we get through the doors, and you you know you're standing there. The cameras are on. You've got five sharks, and they're absolutely looking you up and down, speaking to each other, making you feel really uncomfortable. But that makes great TV. And um, I was out there for two hours and 15 minutes being absolutely grilled with every business question imaginable. And I held it together pretty well. And then in the end, I thought, we've got an opportunity for an offer here. We actually got two offers, one from Janine and one from Steve Baxter. And I said, would you like to meet my co-founder? He came to Sydney. He's actually out the back. He just wasn't going to come out here. And they said, we want to meet him. So I brought him out and they grilled Jeff for another 15 minutes or so. And um, then it was final offer time and I knew in my mind that I'd come there for Janine. So uh, my gut feeling just went, don't think about anything else. They're offering a code deal and all of this. And Steve has incredible skills in tech and, you know, it would have been hugely handy for an online business, but my gut just said to me, go with Janine. There's, there's something she's got that you need to learn and that will help you be a better, better businesswoman and that's what we did.
0: BFit Food walked out of the Shark Tank with an offer from Janine Ellis, the founder of Boost Juice, for $300,000 made up of a $200,000 investment and a $100,000 loan in exchange for 33.3% of the company. And for a food business, going on to Shark Tank, you probably couldn't have gotten a better deal. But that's only stage one. Securing an investment in the tank doesn't mean you're going to actually see the money. Once filming is over, you go through due diligence. And for Kate, that process took an excruciating amount of time.
1: Let's rewind to the filming, you've shot it, you're high-fiving in the air, you think you've got this investment. I was like, so where do we get the cheques from? Does someone write us a cheque and off we go? No, no, no. So due diligence went for about a year. So we got no money for a very, very long time. And we got told that the the show was going to go to air. So it was filmed in November 2016. And we got told it was going to go to air, you know, the first one of the season in um, like January or February 2017. And it didn't. And then we got told it would go to air in March. And we thought, oh, we'll get the money when it goes to air. And it just kept getting pushed out and pushed out and pushed out. And, of course, you've signed signed your life away in terms of it's a secret and you're not allowed to tell anyone that you've been on Shark Tank or what happens and you don't have the money, yet you're preparing for when this actually goes to air. Are you going to sell more food? Are you going to have to be prepared? So in the meantime, I'd hired a production manager and a much bigger or a handful more um people in the team to make sure that we had a lot of food on hand we were ready to go. But that ready-to-go button was every day and every week and it took actually nearly a year before it went to air. So we actually did a lot more cash in that year trying to prepare for something that we thought actually may never happen. And I, I guess we hadn't got the investment at this stage either. So it was a really hard slog going from filming and having you know the most exciting, exhilarating, positive experience to this waiting game as will anything ever change, or you know, was that just a dream? Did this not ever really happen? Like, am I still stuck in the same reality?
0: But the program eventually made it to air in August of 2017, and the response was unlike anything the company was prepared for. And right after this break, BeFit Food has to deal with rapid. Shark Tank-fueled growth. Fit Food appeared on Shark Tank in August of 2017, and the response was overwhelmingly positive. Almost as soon as the show aired, thousands of people started flocking to their website in volumes that the company just wasn't prepared for.
1: Unfortunately, though, our website crashed. And it crashed every minute, every four minutes, every hour, every day, and every week thereafter for six months. So... We snuck through quite a few hundred thousand to millions of dollars of sales, but it was an ab- absolute nightmare because we didn't know anything about the tech behind our website. We obviously hadn't built it. We had someone help us with that. And we didn't even know how to shut the goddamn thing off to stop selling shit because we had nothing left. We only had what I thought was 800 boxes worth of our rapid weight box box or be rapid food and the production manager looked at me white after it had gone to air and I said how long is it going to take you to catch up to make all this food like six weeks or something and he's like oh I I didn't actually make all the food I'm like pardon and he goes oh well I know you said you wanted 800 boxes but I was trying to save you money so I only made 200 because I just didn't think anyone was going to buy it And I was like, you're kidding me. So the next morning, I turn up at, we've got this second retail site at this point, this warehouse where we've stored all the food. And there is literally a a line of about a kilometre of cars out front, people getting out, there's trucks, there's people that have flown in from interstate to pick up their boxes of food that they bought last night. So within two minutes of the building opening, every scary food in the, the building was gone. So from that point on went, so day one to day 30, I actually went from a team of five people to 63 people. And that's what it took to service something of this magnitude. And um, by no means did we do it well, but we, we just did it and we just got through. So I always get asked questions about the HR side of things. How did you know who to hire? And I was like, if they, you know, if they could, um, if they asked me for a job, they got one basically. So if they walked through the door and they were looking for work, there was something to do. And what did I give them to do? Anything. We had these seven phone lines absolutely ringing like crazy. And fortunately, I'd actually hired a call center as a backup should the phone something happen with the phone lines. And they had 35 call lines across Australia and it blew up all their phone systems as well. So the problem was at the end of every day when they took a few hundred messages and they'd emailed them across to us, we couldn't actually pick up one of our seven phones without someone being on the other end. So we could never return anybody's calls because there was always someone new on the other end. So needless to say, it was a fair disaster. We broke it all and we had to rebuild it from scratch. And that process probably the first six months was really just absolutely destroy and break the business and then learn how to rebuild systems one by one until you've got something more scalable.
0: We're obviously talking about, about you know, being able to, to scale a business rapidly. Um, and you are, you know, you're a food business and food inherently has a lot of logistics around it. Um, and you know, it, it can it can restrict the ability to scale rapidly. It's not the same as being, you know, an online service where you can just fire up a few more servers and suddenly your, you know, your website is available, you know, or your service is available in another country. With a food business, there's a lot of logistics. Can, can you tell me about the steps that you have to go through to actually get a meal delivered to someone's door?
1: Oh, uh, outside of, I guess, actually producing the food, coming up with the recipe, sourcing the ingredients, costing it out, working out the labour, producing it, packaging it, labelling it. Um, We had to find a courier company that could actually deliver our food in a, a safe way and We initially delivered the food fresh, but we found it too much of a health risk because if people weren't home and we were leaving food at their door, they would say to us, is it still safe, you know, 10 hours later when they got home? And to be honest, nobody actually knows that question. No one's testing that food. So I decided that we should be snap freezing the food because it preserves the integrity of the food, the DNA of the food, and more importantly, the good bacteria and doesn't let the bad bacteria grow so in, in my opinion it's actually better for the microbiome um and it's as fresh as the minute it was cooked it's never going to be 10 days old when you eat it because it hasn't sat anywhere um and so we had to find a, a frozen courier so that was a challenge to start with um and then we wanted to expand our reach so initially we only delivered across victoria but because shark tank was a national tv show We had people all across Australia wanting food. So we very quickly expanded to New South Wales, Queensland, then South Australia uh, and WA as well, So, and obviously Victoria where we started. So it was a case of really finding a a logistics partner that had the... um, I guess, the quality of service that we needed and um, all the accreditations, but also had that reach. So we've moved career companies about five or six times now over the last six-ish years for those reasons that, um, to me, the most important thing is that the food gets there safe in, in the intended order and um, that the customers are happy. So, you, you know, they're a very important partner for us.
0: Now, you obviously had a significant momentum coming uh, coming out of the shark tank um, and, you know, when that aired, your business was, was growing rapidly and you said for the next kind of like six months, you're, you're kind of like dealing with issues around scaling that, um, but- you know, once, once there's a bit of time between when the show has aired, um, you know, how, how do you actually go about maintaining momentum? Because you, you have continued to grow um, exponentially as a business. So, like, how have you thought about maintaining that momentum so that you can continue your growth?
1: I guess because it's always come from the same place, it's that passion. And even in the first few years, we grew 100% year on year before shafting. And then when shafting happened, we had huge growth, but we still managed to do 100% growth year on year thereafter. And that is because. My vision is huge. If it's to change the health of 90% of Australians and help them eat themselves better, then that's a big mission and we need to be able to reach a lot of households. And um, I, I guess every opportunity that's out there for PR, I'm there, every opportunity to develop, deliver nutrition education or deliver the message, I'm there. Um, anyone that I can help with offering free nutrition, dietitian support, I'm there. Um, and, and that goes to speak for my team when I say me. I mean my whole team are there because we all believe in this vision and we genuinely want to help people achieve better health and feel happier and um, that's what the company's about. So the momentum is just... Um, Kind of that, that pay it forward um, concept that if you feel really good about something and you feel really healthy and happy, how do you give that to someone else so they feel that energy and then if they feel that good, then they, they pass it on to someone else.
0: Since Shark Tank, Beefit Food has continued to grow rapidly. They now turn over more than $8 million in sales and they have plans to scale internationally. Obviously, COVID has disrupted every business sector in some way. And for Kate, that meant pivoting their offerings to help cater for the needs customers have right now.
1: Yeah, the word for 2020 has certainly been to, to pivot the business. Hasn't it? And that's something ever since, Um, I guess, COVID really started around three months ago. What we found is when people were food hoarding in month one, Um, we weren't really the sort of food that you would hoard but in saying that we were nutritionally complete we were frozen we had long shelf life so we actually started offering people instead of weight loss programs offering just healthy meal bundles that were nutritionally complete that were good for immunity so month one our strategy was meal bundle and help say sell bulk meals Month two, we found that people really were starting to feel that financial strain. So people had gone out and, you know, done all their spending in the first month and then they were pulling back in the second month. So our strategy for that was to offer free home delivery and this was also Mm. at a point when um, some of the majors were having issues with home delivery and we weren't fortunately. So it meant that people could get their food very quickly and it was guaranteed as well unlike some of the majors, so um, that was beneficial for us. And then in the third month, um, listening to our customers, and we've got a what we call our BeFit Foodies Facebook group, so there's about 4,500 people in that group at the moment, and they're extremely active, and we really gauge what the community is feeling and um, how it's impacting them through the conversations that happen on that channel that they lead. And what we found is that most people were feeling really really ordinary because they'd eaten too much of the wrong food they'd been drinking too much alcohol they had no routines they weren't getting out as much and there was a lot of comfort foods as well so we saw that I guess um as a cry for help to help them change their behaviors so we started an ISO challenge Um, that challenge actually started we recruited in May it started on the 1st of June It's our biggest challenge so far. So for 28 days, people just live and breathe beefy food, nothing else, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks in their little private group. And we've got uh, 338 people in that group at the moment and they're extremely active, posting every day. They're doing all their before photos and their weekly weigh-ins and updates and um, I absolutely love reading it because you hear you know the most heart-wrenching stories about how something's happening in someone's life that's caused them to gain all this weight or they've lost sight of what's going on and now they're all of a sudden they've got control again and they feel empowered and they're getting unbelievable results so I think our February challenge on average people lost around six and a half seven kilos on average and the winner lost 12 or something kilos in the 28 days and this time around it who knows? But the results are pretty astounding. So they're a really, really um, positive group of people at the moment, and they all finish on Sunday, the twenty eighth. So excited to celebrate with them.
0: <laughs> now, um, I understand that that as a business, you have uh, you have plans for international expansion in the future. Um, Can you talk to me about, like, what's that going to look like when, you know, you're you're expanding a a food business internationally and and what will be some of the challenges that you have to overcome um, to be able to do that? And, you know, also, do you have any countries in mind of, like, what would be your first step?
1: Look, we've got the trademarks for the US, the UK and China more recently as well. Um, Look, for me, it's probably starting with the US just because obviously there's no language barriers. There's a huge obesity epidemic over there Um, and they're very open to um, alternative health being nutrition and food. So I think they're they're the first country we'd really look at and we have had um talks with the Australian government and export and we've been working with the CSIRO as well. So um, that is certainly on the cards. I don't have a date yet. Corona's obviously upset some of our forward planning, but that's that'd be first on the cards. Um, and obviously it's such a big country too and there's so many people that can be reached there and so many lives that can be changed too. Um, and then Either China or the UK, depending on, you know, it it really has to be a matter of timing and when, who needs what when and who's more interested for us.
0: With everything that that you've achieved with BeFit Food uh, so far um, and, you know, all the success that that you've had, um, but, you know, still you've got a, a journey ahead of you. I mean, how do you feel at this moment in time? Like, how do you feel about how everything is going?
1: Um, look, to be honest, it feels like we're still right just over the starting line because the vision is so big and the only thing that I'll stop is when I think I've really made a difference to the health of Australia. and. I've got two young kids and I would hate to think that my children grow up with the current beliefs around food and dieting and the synthetic food world and fast food and convenience that we live in. I'm hoping that I can have an impact. Um, We're working with the CSIRO at the moment. We're working with the Australian government to really be able to you know change the way that people see food and food should be seen as the first medicine because if you use food first then you may not need the other medicines which are all full of side effects anyway so um yeah we'll we'll just keep going down that path until we get there
0: Building a Unicorn is a Lawson Media production. You can find out more about the show and get episode transcripts at our website, buildingaunicorn.com. This episode of Building a Unicorn was hosted, edited, and scripted by me, Christopher Lawson. Production assistance by James Parkinson. Our theme music comes from Nick Buchanan. And our artwork is by Andrew Millist. This is the last episode of Season 2 of Building a Unicorn, and we're taking a break while we work on some new episodes for Season 3. But don't worry, we're not going away for very long. We'll be back again really soon with some new interviews with some amazing entrepreneurs. And if you've got any suggestions for guests that we should feature on Building a Unicorn, send them to unicorn at lawson.media. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Just search for Build a Unicorn, And I'm at Christopher Lawson. Thanks so much for joining us this season on Building a Unicorn. I'll speak to you again soon.